the whole concept of art as a way to both express um, our humanity and also to engage with the divine realm, whatever that is, right? Because it's such a mystery to us. But art somehow helps us tap into that, tap into the mystery that we call life. Um, and today we're going to be focusing in on writing as an art form. Last week we looked at um, visual art. Um, Chas did an incredible job, I thought, of um, drawing us in and, and, and help. Yeah, I mean, another round of applause. Um, and... Uh, um, um, just how they engage with art. But I just want to say a few words, first of all, about this whole subject of writing, of language, of speech, because um, it's something that's so commonplace, so everyday. We all write, probably. Most of us, I think, in this room can write, probably. Um, and uh, we, we speak all the time. You know, words in one sense are very commonplace. In one sense, words can be cheap, but we know also how incredibly precious they are. And when you think about it, at whatever point speech evolved within humanity, you think, you know, a lot of animals can speak, but our ability to speak and communicate is just incredible. And, and it's, it's really a manifestation of our consciousness, our ability to kind of relate to one another, relate to the world, and even to relate to the divine in a way that perhaps is unique, um, certainly on this planet, uh, perhaps even in the universe. It's a sacred thing. Speech somehow, words are sacred. You know, the ancients used to think of the breath as being synonymous with spirit. They use the same word in many ancient languages for breath and spirit. And, and speech is our breath, isn't it? We breathe out through our vocal cords and they resonate at different frequencies for us to form words. And we're able to communicate emotion and, and detail and thoughts and all sorts of things in an incredible way. Um, so whenever anybody speaks, in one sense, it's a sacred act. Um, which perhaps we, we need to bear in mind when we listen to people um, and perhaps we need to bear in mind when we actually speak that there's something sacred about this act that perhaps we take for granted. And then, of course, you know, you know 5,000 to 6,000 years ago, we started to evolve writing where we were able to actually record words or record thoughts, um, you know, initially sort of pictorial form, uh, on, on tablets of clay and that kind of thing. And we were able to make a record of things that have, been, that have been done. I mean, writing and speech have really resulted in incredible power for humanity, for good or for bad, in that we've been able to collect and log and store knowledge for future generations. So as, we've, as writing has evolved, again, it's something incredibly amazing. It's, it's, it's sacred. We, we, we're able to, if you like, I mean, this may be a bit of a stretch, but we kind of time travel with writing. We have a record of the past. We can go back to the past and read things like, you know, think of the most ancient literature there is. Certainly something like the Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the most ancient stories, uh, four, four to five thousand years ago. Somebody wrote that, you know, and we're we just we can pick up a copy of a book now and, and read it. It's just in it's just absolutely incredible. And through writing, we've been able to convey more information. We've been able to go back to the past. We're also actually, if you think about it, every time we write something, in a way, we're projecting into the future. We're recording something that somebody in the future could read, somebody that we'll never know. So writing is just this amazing thing, really powerful thing. And out of it, we've also developed. Um, the gift of poetry, of, uh, of literature, ways of writing that evoke feelings and thoughts that we otherwise couldn't really put, we couldn't just explain them, right? 
sometimes a novel can um, communicate truth in a, in a far deeper way than if we were to try to logically explain it. There's something uh, more than just the words. Um, it's, it's, it's more than the sum of its parts. And so I'm, I'm going to invite Melanie up because M Melanie is a writer and uh, many of you may have read some of the things that she's written, but she's going to come and just talk from a very personal perspective about how writing has impacted her faith journey and deepened her spirituality. So give a very warm welcome to Melanie. Thank you. It's a little daunting. It's sacred words I'm sharing here. Um, actually, <clears throat> to be honest, I, it's a little odd that I feel like I'm an odd choice for talking about God and the arts and creativity because I'm one of those people that Chaz mentioned last week who feels like they don't have a creative bone in their body. And I've always felt like that. And I think probably because I compare myself with my older brother and sister who were both artists, like artists, artists, you know, they, they drew and they painted and they did pottery and sculpture and stuff. And there I was. But uh, at the same time, I have always written. I just have. I, I never thought of it as art or even particularly creative, to be honest, but I just wrote. And I think I came back that honestly. My dad was an English professor. My mom was a literature buff. My brother became a, a published author. <laughs> and it's just what we did in our family. Uh, I started journaling when I was 13 in the summertime when uh, after Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy had been shot. And that was obviously a really traumatic time in our country, but it was also traumatic in my family for a lot of reasons. And so uh, I just had a lot of big, painful emotions that wanted to be expressed. Hello, neighbor. <laughs> and, um, and the journal really served that purpose. So at some point in my later years, later teenage years probably, some of that journaling became directed outward, like to an other. You know, I, there was a higher power that was somehow inside me, but also outside of me. So I could talk to it. And I think probably that was my first foray into prayer. I didn't um, know much about God. Uh, and I, did, I wasn't even really especially curious about God at that time. My family wasn't religious, but I sure didn't have a lot to communicate to someone at age 13, right? Just like uh, cries of anguish and lots of why, why, whys. And oh my goodness, exclamations of jubilation. There's so many exclamation points in those early journals, usually associated with my latest crush. But there was also boredom and restlessness and confusion, all the teenage stuff, kind of like teenage psalms, you know, just wails. But putting that onto the page has somehow released that angst for me. And I handed it all over to this mysterious inner, outer, higher power. And it's very cool in some ways to look back at those old journals and see where God was. I, I feel like God answered some of those prayers, probably not how I would have chosen or even necessarily imagined, but um, I can sense that God received and, and honored my written offerings. And I only have to flip through those old journals to, to see God's attention um, and creativity in my life and how things have, have turned out or been turning out. So I've kept up my journaling for 55 plus years now. Uh, those are some of my journals. My early ones are very tattered, nasty looking uh, spiral notebooks, but 
Now I invest in them. Uh, but I never, I, I have dozens and dozens and dozens of these. I like boxes of them. And I never considered this scribbling particularly creative. But now when I think about it, having this lifelong intimate conversation with the creator of the universe about how my individual life is, could be shaped is just profoundly creative. I'm observing and creating my life with God in those pages. And those written reflections, I think, can alert me when I'm sort of out of whack, when I'm, when I'm not in alignment with God, when my false self, driven kind of by fear or ego or whatever, is drowning out the true Melanie that's grounded in, in God and motivated by God. So over time, I definitely see unhealthy patterns in my journal, it can be kind of frustrating because they're always there. Uh, lies that I have told myself, unspoken values that I'm living my life by but never really identified, uh, and, um, and dreams sometimes I've never even recognized that have been stretched through the years. So journal writing is a profound foundational spiritual practice for me. Sitting down with God every morning with my tea and reflecting. And if that sounds good to you, and you aren't a journaler, but even if you are, you could try it during Lent, which, um, believe it or not, is coming up pretty soon here. Ash Wednesday is the week after next. So um, journaling is a great practice for Lent. I love Lent. It's about deep self-reflection and intentionally turning to God to discover ways you might want to change, or in other words, repenting. One of the scriptures that we often read at Lent comes from the book of Joel, where he says, even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Using any way you can, Joel seems to say, return, return to God with all your heart. And writing can be a part of that returning. It's, it's a tool, a practice you can use. So I discovered what they call creative writing through poetry. Uh, I had never much appreciated poetry, let alone written it, until my mom passed away in 2008. I signed up for a poetry class shortly after that at the Writers' Center in Bethesda. Anybody know it? you got to try it. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so you should definitely check it out. It's got classes for every different um, space in your life. But during that first poetry class, it came out that nearly everybody in that room had um, recently lost someone. They were in active grieving, as I was. And poetry fits grief. There's like a sparseness to it. Some of the stuff we were hearing last night at the Creative Cup, a bareness to it. When you let go of every word that isn't absolutely essential, you strip away everything just down to the bare bones like grief. This letting go, simplifying and surrendering of those precious words. Um, it, it's a fitting spiritual practice when you're letting go of someone and grieving. I don't know if that makes sense, but it does to me. So I felt led to this new form of writing as a practice to get me through grief, but it also transformed the way I saw writing itself. And I'm going to digress here, as I often do. Uh, I have always connected to God through nature. It's where I first met God, and it's where I continue to, to experience the divine most profoundly. I've spoken about that here before. It's my, my core. I could spend the next hour sitting in that little ecosystem installation and be perfectly happy. Um, but I think that's why I love gardening. And when I'm gardening, I'm hyper aware of my senses, 
all that God has created, the smell of the soil, the feel of a, of a fuzzy leaf bird song, the sun shining on a yellow marigold, chewing on a piece of oregano or basil or mint, every sense is awake and I can slow down and appreciate small things. There's a sign on my grandmother's wall that says one is nearer God's heart in a garden than any place else on earth. So when I'm gardening, I feel like I'm truly co-creating with God, sweating the details like God, creating beauty and order and connection and flow. And all of nature is like that, consistently, constantly creating and evolving. I like to think of God sweating the details of evolution. Like imagine that the great creator created a process where the creation continues to co-create itself. That is just awesome right like the tweak of a feather here the dash of phosphorescent algae over there or the addition of an opposable thumb right here there's such loving attention that our creator gives to creation so digression over um because of poetry i started to view writing the same way i saw gardening as a co-creative process with god Again, creating beauty and order and connection and flow, sweating the details, turning every word this way and that way, trying to find the perfect facet to see the truth through and catch the light. I fell in love with words themselves. I, I started to sense them as sacred, as Matthew was saying, when I started writing poetry. They have such power and beauty, the sound and the rhythm and the way they fit together and the moods they create and metaphors. Oh my gosh. I love metaphors way too much. Uh, there's just the pursuit of that exact word to express the unexpressible, the ineffable. You, you need it to talk about God and to even think about God. A mustard seed, a widow's mite, a field of lilies, right? The Bible's just crammed with metaphors. In fact, the Bible itself in a way is one big metaphor or simile, depending on how specific you are. Um, you know, God is like, fill in the mystery. The whole Bible is, is humans filling in that blank or trying to. So now in love with language, I started reading books and magazines about writing and I signed up for more classes at the Writer's Center. And I heard and became obsessed with the somewhat oxymoronic moronic term, creative nonfiction. Uh, how many people have heard of creative nonfiction as a thing? That's, that's good. Um, that's like memoir and essays and biography, but in the form of compelling multi-layered stories full of sensory details and dialogue and scenes like fiction. So creative nonfiction can be stories of journeys and explorations and searches and twists and turns and mysteries and, and inner and outer challenges and flawed characters. It's like epic fiction that I love, like J.R.R. Tolkien, only real life. And I especially like reading about other people's spiritual journeys and relationships with God or the lack thereof. I like reading atheists and agnostics because it helps me understand my own core beliefs and my reasons for them, kind of weaving through the arguments or whatever on, on both sides sort of uh, it makes me think. So I fell hard for this writing genre <clears throat> at the Writers' Center. And for the first time, I dreamed of becoming an actual writer with a capital W, not just a journaler, you know. And I started a blog 
because writers are supposed to blog. <laughs> and the blog was supposed to be about emotional decluttering, a kind of double meaning, like the emotional side of decluttering material stuff, but also the emotional clutter that we gather over a lifetime, like fear and shame and so on. And it was meant to inspire and educate and, and encourage decluttering and simplicity. But for better, for worse, uh, I began my blog during a presidential election year. Now, if you know me, <laughs> you know that I find it hard uh, to avoid opining on politics, uh, even when it's bad for my mental health. It's kind of, um, in my family, politics was sort of like sports, you know, it was recreational conversation. It's just what we talk about at the dinner table. And so I started blogging about politics. And then some candidates said some untrue things about climate change and being a professional environmentalist, I had to blog about that. My activist organizer heart started showing up on the page. And then since mom's passing was still relatively recent, I had to blog about grief. And then my brother began a serious mental decline. So I had to learn about and blog about mental illness. So surprise, my house remained in total chaos, uh, undecluttered, uh, un but my blog started gaining followers. So I kept rambling about anything and everything. And I still meant to inspire and encourage with my blogging, but it's just kind of the scope sort of expanded. Like Chaz said last week, the best kind of art is not when an artist sets off with a plan and creates it to a T, but when the outcome surprises the creator and the art goes outside the frame they had envisioned. That, that, I really appreciated that uh, from Chaz. Well, my blog sprawled all over outside the frame and it consistently surprised me by heading towards God. That wasn't my plan. But no matter what I started writing about, the questions, the solutions, the framework, the lens, somehow always tilted and turned out to have a spiritual dimension. And it turns out to write authentically, I had to talk about God and my spiritual side, even when I knew a lot of my readers had been turned off by toxic forms of Christianity. So I was presented with a challenge. Like I felt like a translator between cultures, kind of trying to write about my faith without alienating people and politics at the same time. So all those things you're not supposed to talk about, I was there. But I had to think about my faith more deeply. You know, I had to look into the culture and the context of the biblical writings. And Cedar Ridge, of course, has been so helpful to me with that over the year. And I also looked into the history of religious people and, and holy days, the genesis of practices, like why do Christians do that? So I tried to gently demystify and maybe defang historic Christianity and make the idea of God more accessible to random readers. I don't feel like it's my job to persuade anyone to believe what I believe, but this role as translator felt kind of like a calling to me. I sort of fell into this spot. And I took author Frederick Beekner's words to heart. In a world that, for the most part, steers clear of the whole idea of holiness, art is one of the few places left where we can speak to each other of holy things. My blog was now called Writing with Spirit. It had nothing to do with decluttering. And uh, it attracted a small community of other people who were trying to do the same thing with their writing. 
And I met more inclusive Christian writers through the Wild Goose Festival. And some of us around here will talk to you about the Wild Goose Festival until you're asleep if you ask us. So it's a, it's a spiritual journal, a spiritual gathering of art, music, and justice that we go to every July, and you should all come. But um, all this felt like God was refining and shaping my dream of becoming a, a real writer through a new community. Now, one night, I was sitting in a basement classroom at the Bethesda Writers Center when I heard another student read a paragraph from his work, and it just took my breath away. It was beautiful. And so after class, I asked him, how did you do that? Where did you learn to do that? And he told me about a master's program at Johns Hopkins University in creative nonfiction. Now, I was in my mid-50s. I was living off my retirement savings after leaving my career to help my ailing brother. Next thing I knew, I was applying to be a graduate student at Hopkins. I did not see that coming either. I knew I needed some kind of outlet to keep myself sane while I was accompanying my brother in his troubles. But did it make sense to spend a big chunk of my retirement money to get trained in a field that is notorious for not paying? No. It did not, it did not make any sense at all. And I, I thought about this. It's hard for me to describe where God was in this process, but it felt so much like a God thing. It was like, yes, this is what I'm meant to be doing. This, this, is, being, this is God's intention for my life. I was super excited. And then during my interview with the director, I was talking about how I wanted to research and write about church farms, like, like our church farm. And he got all excited because his Episcopalian church in Virginia has a farm and he's on the farm team. And I was like, yes, of course, God, I'm, I, I'm in. Thank you. And I did get in and I got a scholarship. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> But that program couldn't have been better for me as a writer. But, but what did I learn spiritually? Where was God? I've, I've appreciated this chance to, to ponder that because I did just dive into that with great enthusiasm. And sometimes that's the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's not. Um, but I have some hunches. First off, I'd never studied writing or literature in school. I was a science and policy kind of person. Yet here I was learning from some of the best writers around. You know how they talk about beginner's mind um, going in with like a blank slate, not assuming that you know anything? Well, that's where I was literally for the first time in a long time. And it was, uh, it was a great feeling. It was humbling and it was, it was joyous to get out of the identity that I had built over 56 years and just say, teach me. It was great. I had been an environmental lobbyist on Capitol Hill for 30 years about, and I thought I knew a thing or two. But I absolutely loved the feeling of just being a student and not having any answers. I didn't know what I was doing. And I can imagine God seeing me like that and grinning like, yeah, I know. How about you let go of all that expertise and certainty and approach me and your life, that same openness and humility, like, like a child. Secondly, I knew that I could sense God's healing hand in my journaling and poetry, but I hadn't expected a creative nonfiction curriculum to be spiritually and emotionally healing as well. I was drawn to memoir, uh, trying to make sense of the pain and difficulties in my life to search for where God had been and for meaning. And that's hard 
inner work, especially when you're older, I think, and you got more to look back on. But at first, every writing session felt like a therapy session. It was painful. I cried as I tapped into compassion for people who had harmed me and who I always held grudges against. I had to forgive. I had to work through my past addictions and self-harm to find the grace and compassion to forgive myself. I got overwhelmed by gratitude when I thought about so many people who invested in me and saved me from myself when I was on the wrong path. God felt really present through all these explorations and my vicious inner critic. I don't know if you have that voice in your head, but oh my goodness. Uh, he quieted down and uh, I began to gain confidence and see my writing as the gift that it is. It's, it's a gift and, and I'm really grateful for it. Then finally, studying writing made me pay attention, pay attention to body language and tones of voice and people's eyes and what their eyes are saying. And writing teaches you to listen deeply, as, as Matthew was saying. Being a writer uh, or any kind of creative, I think, truly slows you down. If you're going to create good characters, you need to be observant, right? So be careful because I'm watching you. There's a sweatshirt I've thought about getting that says, be careful or you'll end up in my novel. So we have another thought on this from Frederick Beekner. Literature, painting, music, the most basic lesson that all art teaches us is to stop, look, and listen to life on this planet, including our own lives, as a vastly richer, deeper, more mysterious business than most of the time it ever occurs to us to suspect as we bumble along from day to day, an automatic pilot. So if you need an excuse to get involved in arts, that's it. So you're not just bumbling along. But in that slowed down, very aware state, I feel like I can sense the Holy Spirit better and maybe get an insight into the, what the Spirit might be doing in my life or someone else's life that I'm listening to. And it's funny because that growing sense of hearing the spirit ended up, uh, I went to cathedral college and got a certificate in spiritual direction as well. So through my writing life, God has led me in some really surprising places, not, you know, unplanned places. So I want to tell you one more thing I came across in my graduate study that might or might not resonate with you and maybe inform your creative and spiritual pursuits. I came across an article called Madman, Architect, Carpenter, Judge, Roles in the Writing Process. And in it, English professor Betty Flowers recommends four distinct phases of the writing process that I think can also apply to our spiritual evolution. This might not work at all, but, but humor me, just nod along. So first, in this writing process, you let your madman out. This madman or madwoman is full of ideas and writes crazily and sloppily and gets carried away by enthusiasm or anger. And I think if a madwoman were a painter, she'd be like throwing paint at the walls. So when that madwoman has the pen, don't even think about controlling your writing or judging your writing. You just go. You bring the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then you invite in your architect 
who can look at this creative mess that you've made and pull out building blocks that might form the foundation of your essay. The architect works at the paragraph level, like shifting chunks around and giving your piece shape and a narrative arc. Then next comes your carpenter, who'll work at the sentence level, tacking everything where it belongs and making sure it fits tightly. And then, and only then, should you invite in your judge to investigate and critique what you've done. You let your creative creativity run its course before the judge ever arrives. This is a huge challenge for me. I, my judge shows up in the first sentence, you know, like, wow, oh, that's terrible syntax. But okay, here we go. Stay with me. Applying this frame to your spiritual journey, I think of the mad woman as my young self journaling, trying desperately to connect with a God that um, she barely knew, dumping all of her emotion and confusion and questions onto the page. I highly recommend this. When you need to, you can throw it all at God. Anger, frustration, the why, why, whys. Don't edit yourself. Offer it all to God. Don't be shy about your heart's cry. Whether that's joyful effusion or gut-wrenching pain, God can take it all. Look at the Psalms. The most common Psalms are laments, both personal and communal. Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Out of the depths I cry to you, O oh Lord, Lord, hear my voice. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Awake, Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it all belongs. Then, in your calmer moments, you can invite your spiritual architect in. And that might look like asking the Holy Spirit for guidance and clarity. The holy architect can help you see where your good energy lies and toss out unhelpful attitudes and habits. I can't believe... Somebody's nodding, thank you, bless you. Um, and she can provide shape and meaning and purpose for your life. She'll help you craft a solid foundation built on deep values and beliefs and longings that your mad woman surfaced. And then she might suggest tossing out whole pages or even characters that you have that don't belong in your life. Now, the carpenter arrives with all his tools. Jesus was a carpenter, I'm just saying. At this point in the process, you get up close and personal with your evolving story, the sentence level. Working alongside Jesus, you can see through rough, you can see rough bits that need to be shaved off or, or sanded and nails sticking out that need to be hammered in or, or pulled out completely. Am I torturing this metaphor yet? I love metaphors. Um, sorry. But you've got yourself you've got the Holy Spirit, and you've got Jesus. And part of this carpentry work could be using intentional spiritual practices to refine what you're creating, using tools like silence and solitude and journaling and retreats and, yes, all kinds of art. You can refine and balance your life and become a closer follower of Jesus. And then you can offer your story, your life, to the judge, the examiner. Our great examiner is not harsh or negative. If your judge is not talking to you in a loving voice, it is not Jesus. It is not God. God is love, and, and love is full of grace. There is a practice included in our discussion questions this week that might help you with this examination process. It's called the prayer of examine. 
uh, practice crafted by St. Ignatius in the 1500s, and we've, we've used it here before. Each evening you reflect on your day, specific moments and feelings. What did you do or say or think? And, and where was God? Were you drawing near to God in that moment or were you drawing further away or was God not around at all? Or did you not sense God? And how can you better align with God's uh, purpose tomorrow? So this can be a powerful writing practice. You might wanna try it also during Lent. Or you can pray this simple scripture to invite the great examiner in any time of the day or night. It's Psalm 139, 23, 24, and we'll close with it. Um, let's pray it outside, uh, out loud together as our creative musicians come back up. And uh, let's say this together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. And I'll leave you with one final thought this morning, and it's from author Julia Cameron, and I hope you'll take it to heart. Creativity is God's gift to us. Using our creativity is our gift back to God. Thank you.